Amen. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we're thankful this morning we can come and we look so forward to coming to your word and feasting upon your word. We've been able to sing praises to you this morning. You're good. There's no other name that we want to sing to than that of Jesus. And Lord, we come this morning asking you to do your work in our lives. Lord, we pray in the next few minutes that we could hear from heaven. Your spirit would give us ears to hear. That you would give us receptive hearts. That you would accomplish your purposes this morning. Lord, I ask that just any distractions would be removed and the enemy would be barred from this room. That we would hear from your spirit. Uh, Lord, we know that you want to do a work in our lives. For some, you want to bring out of darkness and bring into the light. For the believers, you want to do some work in our lives. You want to remind us of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Lord, you want to draw us near. You want to help us in our journey in Christ's likeness. Thank you for the book of Colossians and what we learn in that book. Help us. Oh, Father, we need your help today. We need it every day. We want to look more like Jesus, and yet there are so many distractions in this world and things that would pull us away from Christ and tempt us. And so for some, we need victory. Some, we need to be convicted of our sins. We just pray, Lord, that your spirit would have the freedom this morning in this room to accomplish everything that you would like to accomplish in us. And we'll praise you for it all, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the book of Colossians. We're in a series called Christ Like Living. Uh, Last time we were in chapter 1, and at the end of verse 28, uh, Paul uh, shared his passion that they would be maturing in Christ. And this morning we want to kind of pick up on that theme and talk about our progression in the faith. Our progression in the faith. God desires for us to, to, to make progress in our faith. And so I invite you to stand this morning. Uh, I'm going to read verses 6 through 15. It's good to see you. Um, and I'm just loving Colossians. Uh, it's been good for, for my soul and it's uh, encouraged and challenged me to, to grow in my faith. I hope it has for you as well. I hope you're reading it regularly and, and asking the Lord to, to speak through this book. Paul says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head and of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. All right. May God bless his word. You you may be seated this morning. The Colossians, the the believers there, they had received the word of God. Uh, They had been instructed in the faith. 
And on the on the practical side, uh, they needed to continue to live in Him and and uh, to be built up in Him, and, and so do we. We need to continue to be built up in Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about our progression in the faith. Uh, I got three main points. They're really simple. First is be grounded in Christ. Uh, the second is to be on guard for the sake of Christ, and, and the third is just to be grateful for Christ. Be grounded. Be on guard, be grateful. Let's start with the first one, be grounded in Christ. Verse 6 says you've received Christ, walk in Him. And so don't just receive Jesus as Lord, but, but walk in Christ. The, the Christian life is to be lived out. It, in a sense, it, it starts with our head. We, we hear the gospel. Uh, God gives us a new heart. Uh, we began to serve Him, we could say, with our hands. We began to walk in Christ. Uh, there's this progression that we make. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't stop when we get saved. We, we progress in our faith. And so Paul says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in Him. And so we, we receive Him by faith, and then we walk in faith. We walk in His power and in faith. Listen, church, that's the only way that we can make spiritual progress, is that we continue to walk in Christ. And that, there's a verb there, it, it, it is continuous action. We're to continue to walk in Christ, to walk as Christ. We're to walk in Him, we're to walk under His Lordship. Verse 7 says, rooted and built up in Him. And so not only walk in Christ, but be rooted in Christ. Now, Paul often uses metaphors. He, he uses soldiers and runners and builders. And, and here he is using a, a tree, a metaphor of a tree. And just like a tree is, is rooted, we're to be rooted and grounded in the soul of the Word of God. Uh, those who receive Christ are to be rooted in Him. And you, we know a tree puts down roots so that it can have nutrition and so that it can have stability. And that's the picture of us as believers. Uh, Paul might have gotten some of this imagery from Jeremiah 17, 8. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You see, it has its roots in the streams. Uh, Psalm 1, uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands with the sinners or sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree, and not just any tree, a tree planted by the streams of water who yields fruit in season, whose leaves does not wither, and all that he does that he prospers. That can be the picture of us. And I talk to Christians all the time, and they just say, Well, preacher, I just I feel dry. Well, listen, you're not rooted in the Word of God. You're not walking in Christ. And Paul wants the church there. He wants them to be rooted in Christ. And just as a tree can't thrive without roots, we, we can't thrive unless we're rooted in Christ. And then Paul adds, built up in him. Here he uses some construction language to show that just as our foundation is built on Christ, we must continue to build on that foundation and be built up. Uh, Ephesians 2.20, if you remember, says that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and, and the prophets. We, we have that foundation through the word, but Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. 
And as the chief cornerstone, we are to build our lives upon him and around him and find our strength and our alignment from him. That, that chief cornerstone, that's the first block that's, that's laid and everything else is laid around it. And in that chief cornerstone, we have strength and stability. And uh, Maybe we don't tell new believers how important this is in their lives. But God doesn't want us to stop, stop at conversion. He, he wants us to build our lives. He wants us to build our lives in 1 Corinthians 3.12 with gold and, and silver and precious stones, things that are going to last, not wood, hay, and straw, not things that are temporary, not things that will burn up. He wants us to build with the right materials. And so be rooted and built up in Christ. Uh, continued in verse 7, established in the faith, just as you were taught. And so thirdly, established in the faith. And maybe this is an area where the church has failed a little bit. Uh, you know, we have given children Sunday school answers to life. And then we sent them away to college or school, and they, they weren't grounded. They weren't established in the faith. And when they get there, the, their faith is questioned, and seeds of doubt are sown, and the enemy just knocks them off their feet. They don't know what to do. They, they don't know about their faith, and they drop out of church, and they're confused. And a lot of times, they spend many years in this confusion and doubt. Well, church, we've got to do a better job of that. We've got to remind believers that you are to be a, a student of God's Word. Listen, when you get saved, you register for God's graduate school, and you become a student of the Lord, and you grow in your faith. You're established and strengthened in the faith. Listen, that's a big problem in the church today is people aren't growing in their faith. And then when the temptations and the trials come, they, they wonder, well, what happened to that person? They, they weren't established. And so Paul was concerned that the church... The church's spiritual progression. And so he said, be grounded in the faith. Be, be rooted by growing deeper in the Word of God. Uh, be built up in, in Christ. Be, be established by growing inward with Christ. And so let's, let's pause for just a moment and let's, let's consider, are, are you grounded in Christ? Do, do you have any spiritual disciplines in your life that's helping you to, to grow deeper and, and be strengthened in your faith? And even as a church, what, what areas of weaknesses do we have? And, and what role would God have you to play in uh, changing that? Maybe it's to, to start a Bible study. Maybe, maybe the women have a Bible study on Wednesday nights. Maybe it's to have a, a men's Bible study. Or, or not just at, at church, maybe at work or at school or, or wherever, at home. Maybe as parents, it's to have a, uh, some family worship and some Bible study at home where you help your children become established in the faith. And so first, be grounded in Christ. Secondly, be on guard for the sake of Christ. Uh, certainly, there's a great need for Christians to be on guard against the, the hodgepodge of beliefs in the world today. Specifically, Paul mentions some things. He first mentions the foolishness of man. Now, th there are some things that man cannot deny. We can't deny that we live in a very complicated universe, and, and uh, it's very hard, I think, to argue that, that what we have, this universe, just came about by random chance over billions of years. Isn't that silly? I mean, isn't it much more complicated than that? And yet, for hundreds of years, men have tried to find an explanation for the universe, the meaning of life, why am I here, what's my purpose, well, the Bible tells us all those things. 
God doesn't want us to be ignorant about where we came from and how all this came about. He, he brought it to be. Now, Paul had heard that there were some false teachers that had worked their way into the church, and, and they were trying to lead people away from the truth. And he strongly warns them. He says, do not be taken captive. Church, that's a, an important warning, I think, for the church today. Don't be taken captive first by empty philosophies. That word philosophy there in verse 8 is, is just the, the love of wisdom. Philio means love, and, and Sophia is, is wisdom. Uh, this is the only time this particular word is used in the New Testament, and it seems to have a much broader meaning than just the academic study of philosophy. One historian noted that everything that had to do with theories about God and the world and the meaning of human life was called philosophy at this time. And so philosophy is the love of wisdom. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with loving wisdom. There's nothing long, wrong with uh, reasoning. Paul certainly reasoned there in Acts 17 with, the, with those in Athens. He, he reasoned about the faith, and, and that's a good thing to be able to do that. The problem is when philosophy is exalted above God. And there were some who would try to harmonize the Christian faith with their current philosophies. And, and some would try to conform Christ to their systems of belief. And that doesn't work because we've already been reminded that Christ is above all and He informs all. We start with Christ and then we, we learn other things. But, but Christ is where we start. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 21, the world by wisdom knows not God. So how do we know God? Well, God has revealed Himself to us. He has revealed Himself to us in the Word and through His Son, Jesus Christ. God wants us to know Him. Hebrews 1 says in the former times He spoke through the prophets. But in verse 2 it says, In these latter days He has spoken to us through His Son. And so if we will follow the Word and we will focus on Jesus, we won't be taken captive or led astray by all the philosophies of this world. And Paul calls them empty or hollow and deceptive. But they may sound good and they may sound intellectual, but they're designed to, to lead people astray. Now, I was tempted to chase a lot of rabbits this week. There are all kinds of empty philosophies out there and and you can read about them. Just this, this, this week, I, I, I got a little picture here. This, was, this is real. This is this week. Students at Union Theological Seminary. That's in New York City. This is what they tweeted. Today in chapel, we confessed to plants. To plants. Together we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering to the beings who sustain us. Listen, plants aren't beings. But they offered confession to the beings who sustain us, by whose gift we often fail to honor. And then they asked a question in that tweet, what do you confess to the plants in your life? And I thought, what? People are worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so Lord, help us when we get that confused. And just speaking of empty philosophies, I mean the theory of, of evolution is about as empty as you can get. And they call it theory because there's no fact, and yet they teach it as fact when it's empty. And so Paul not only warns us about these empty philosophies, but then he talks about erroneous traditions. He says, according to the human tradition. Now, the Jewish faith was full of traditions. 
and their traditions had become more sacred, so sacred that often they were uh, elevated above the commands of God. That, that's why Jesus got in so much trouble with the, with the religious establishment is because he didn't follow their traditions. And so Paul knew that there were some Judaizers, and those were Jews who were under the law, who had come into the church at Colossae, and they were trying to push the church towards tradition, specifically the traditions of man. And so there were these self-appointed uh, regulators of religious life, and uh, they were more concerned with what you wear and, and when and where you worship and how you... They, they were concerned about secondary things, and, and, you know, if we're honest, we have plenty of trivial traditions in Baptist life. Paul would just say, don't be taken captive by them. Uh, listen, here's what our challenge is. Our challenge is to open the Scriptures and read God's Word into our lives. And be careful that we don't take our traditions and read them into His Word. You see, there's a difference. His is truth. Mine may or may not be. And so we have to be careful with, with traditions. Uh, traditions are all right as long as they are aligned with the Scriptures. And, uh, you, you know, I, I've been in church long enough. I know some people, they, they like to quote the Constitution. They know more about the Constitution than they do about the Bible. Well, that's a problem. Amen? Y'all can amen that if you want to. I've been around long enough that people, oh, this is what the Constitution, listen, I don't care. What, I want to know what the Bible says. That's what matters. And so Burlington Baptist Church, listen, traditions can be good. We just have to be careful that we don't allow our traditions to triumph the Word of God. So Paul adds, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And what we're going to find in this letter is that back then there was this movement towards uh, worshiping angels and, and spirit beings, and there was stargazing and astrology and, and uh, the worship of angels and heavenly, heavenly bodies. That, that was kind of in vogue at this particular time. And uh, today people uh, are into horoscopes and crystal balls and, and fortune telling. And, and I was just looking up some stuff this week. Some people today, they excuse their actions by, by blaming it on uh, mercury in retrograde. Y'all ever heard of that? They say Mercury, the planet, is moving backwards at certain times of the year, and that is the reason that they act the way. That's foolish. They don't even move backwards. It just appears to. And I, I was trying to look for some sermon illustrations. There, there are people that order Amazonian frog secretions for medicinal purposes. You, you can Google that stuff, and you, you just, you just, what is wrong with people? So Paul doesn't mention the specific uh, teachings and heresy that had come into the church, but, but uh, the remainder of chapter 2, he's going to talk about some philosophies and legalism and mysticism and others. We'll get to that. But the, I think the most damning, damaging component of their teachings was in relationship to Jesus. Uh, many would say that Jesus wasn't God. Or he wasn't the source of all truth. There was a, it seems to be an attack upon the deity and sufficiency of Christ. And so when we get to verse 9, Paul says plainly, For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Christ is all of God. And so the fullness of Christ. 
Listen, there is no man-made religion that can lead to truth because truth is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of God. He is God of very God. We've already seen it in in chapter 1, verse 15, that he is the image of the invisible God. Uh, And then in verse 10, he, he reminds us that you have been filled or you have been made complete in him. And so, church, we have to be on guard against those who want to rob Jesus of his deity or his authority. Who want to say, well, I don't believe that he was God. Listen, he is God. That's taught throughout scriptures. He was fully God. And so, as we progress in our faith, we are grounded in Christ. We're on guard for the sake of Christ. And then, thirdly, be grateful for Christ. I want us to go back to the end of verse 7 for just a moment. It says, abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing in thanksgiving. Listen, when we think about who Christ is and, and what he has done for us, and listen, we, sh- we really should be just like a river that's busting forth at its banks. We're just overflowing with thanksgiving. I mean, I mean you think about, just, just put your thinking hats on. Th- think about what God has done for us in sending Jesus and taking our sins and when we think about what God has done for us, we should abound in thanksgiving. And, and yet, for some reason, we don't overflow with thanksgiving. And, and I think the problem is sometimes we, we take our eyes off Jesus and we put our eyes on the things of this world and the problems of this world. And I, I just want to spend the last few minutes this morning uh, reminding us uh, why we should be grateful for Christ and what He has accomplished in our lives. First of all, if, if Christ is in us, we have complete salvation. Complete salvation. Verse 11 talks about uh, circumcision. In Him, also, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, we know circumcision was a sign of the Old Testament, of the Abrahamic covenant, that you were a child of Abraham. You were circumcised, identified as part of the, the Jewish people. Uh, but under the new covenant, that's where we live. Our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Paul says that we have a circumcision of the heart, not, not the kind that they had in the Old Testament. Uh, God takes our hearts of stone. This is Ezekiel 36. He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put in you. And so uh, that's what happens when God saves us. He gives us a new heart. Paul says it's a circumcision uh, not by hands. Verse 12 says that we've been buried with him in Christ in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul says we've been buried with him in baptism. We'll say, what does that mean? Well, soon after I gave my heart to, to Jesus, I, I went to a, a, a baptismal pool. I, we, we had to go to another church. We didn't even have one in our church. It's too small. But we went there, and, and uh, I was immersed in water, and I was baptized. And the reason is, is symbolically, baptism is so important. First, it's an outward profession of our faith in Jesus. But, but symbolically, when I go down under the water, the, the old herald died. And I had a, I had a funeral, I had a burial. It was a, a liquid tomb, if you will. And, and the old flesh, the old man was, was crucified with Christ. It's a picture of baptism. When you go under the water, you're, you're buried with Christ. 
And, uh, and so that was my funeral. And the only mourner at my funeral was the devil. He hated to see the old Harold die. We'd been good buddies for about 16 years. But listen, I, I died. My, my old man died. And I, I don't have to live for him anymore. I don't have to obey him anymore. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Listen, when we get saved, we're crucified with Christ. We, we don't have to serve sin anymore, do we? And so aren't you glad that through faith in Jesus Christ we find complete salvation? Then notice verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. I was dead. I mean, we got to get our theology right. I was dead. Listen, dead people don't go towards God. You with me? They're dead. I've done lots of funerals. Dead people don't get up. We were dead. But God made us alive with Him. The, the King James phrase is He quickened us. He brought life to us. We were dead. God brought life. He born us again. He gave us life. We were dead, church. He brought life. And he gave us new life together with him. He saved us. And he brought us into union with himself. And not only so, we should be thankful for that. Listen, you want to think about something. You think about the fact that you were dead. And God brought you to life. You didn't do that. You should be grateful that in Christ we have complete salvation. And then secondly, we have complete forgiveness. Notice there at the end of verse 13. God made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us some of our sins. Anybody's Bible say some? All. Some of you need to underline that little word, all. Having forgiven us all our sins. How do you feel knowing that all of your sins are forgiven? Doesn't that bring a little bit of joy? Yeah, David said in, in Psalm 32, blesses the ones whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. I mean, he knew that he was guilty of adultery and murder and all that other stuff. And when he confessed that, he said, oh, blessed, happy is the man whose sins, all of them are forgiven. Happy is the man. How is it that a holy and righteous God is able and willing to forgive sin, our sins? Well, look at verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And so we're sinners. We have this sin debt. It stands against us, and yet he cancels it. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We love to sing about the cross, don't we? Yeah, good reason. The reason we sing about the cross is because Jesus took our sins and nailed them to the cross. You know what the cross... Uh, the devil thought that he was destroying Jesus, and Jesus was actually destroying him. Uh, Hebrews 2.14, Through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And so through the cross and through his death on the cross, Jesus destroyed Satan. I mean, uh, when Jesus died on the cross, the devil said, Ha, it, he's finished. 
And Jesus says, Satan, you're finished. Because the debt of sin has been paid. It's been paid in full. The penalty for our sins has been paid in full. And now we can enjoy complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Some of you need to hear this this morning. R.A. Torrey said, if you, are, if you are this moment troubled by any sin that you have ever committed, either in the past or in the present, just look at Jesus on the cross. Now listen to this. He said, it is an act of base ingratitude to God to brood over sins that He, in His infinite love, has canceled. All your sins have been forgiven at the cross. Let me ask you this morning, is there some sin that just haunts you? And you've already asked God to forgive you, and yet you have this, this ghost of guilt upon you? I want you to understand something this morning. Jesus offers forgiveness of all your sins. All your trespasses. He has already paid for those sins. He has already nailed them to the cross. And so receive His forgiveness. Listen, believer. Receive complete forgiveness. And praise God for it. I mean, we all got some stuff we, we're not proud of. But in Christ, it's forgiven. And so praise Him for that. Praise Him that He doesn't bring it back out and use it against us. He never will. It's thrown into the sea of God's forgetfulness. Man, that makes you want to praise Him. And so uh, be grateful for complete salvation, for complete forgiveness, and then finally, complete triumph. Uh, notice verse 15. It ends with this word of triumph. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him or at the cross. Listen, in, in, in this day that this was written, a, a Roman general, whenever he would have a, a victory, he would be honored by this official parade when he got back home. It was called the Roman Triumph. And uh, you can read about it. I mean, there, there was two or three days, and they would bring the spoils of war and the prisoners of war and the, the victory, and the, they would honor the general. This, again, it's called the Roman Triumph. Well, listen, the good news this morning is that you and I share in Christ's victory over sin and death and the devil. We get to march with him in the triumph. Listen, if you're saved and forgiven, listen, raise up your head this morning. Because you get to march in the victory parade. Now listen, we're more than conquerors through Christ. And so is your head lifted up? Are you walking in victory? You can. Now, when Jesus died, there, there was tragedy and triumph. They, they come together. I mean, it was tragedy because the cruelest act ever come upon an innocent man. I mean, they lied about him. They, they abused him. They nailed him to the cross. Our sins was put upon him. I mean, our sins, church, was the nails that put Jesus on the cross. And our, really, our hard hearts was the hammers that drove the nails. Our sins had a lot to do with that. I mean, he, he never sinned. But he willingly took our sins. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so the sinless one took the sins of us and put them upon himself. And so on one hand, there was a great tragedy. But on the other hand, there was great triumph. You see, while Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he was nailing our sins to the cross. And not only that, it says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. 
That means to strip. That means to rob, to, to spoil. It's, it's strong language. It's the picture of a fallen enemy who has been stripped of everything. That's what happened to Satan at the cross. The Scriptures teach that, that Satan lost all of his rights and authority over those who have bowed at the foot of the cross, who have had their sins covered by the blood of Jesus. He's lost all authority over me and you if you've come to the cross. He's been stripped of that authority. Not only has Satan and his rulers disarmed, but it says that he's put to open shame. Now you think about that for a minute. Satan thought that he was putting Jesus to shame on the cross, and he was. He, he was stripped and naked and hanging before all people to see. He, it was a shameful experience. Oh, but church, when the dust settled, there was an empty cross. And even more importantly, there was an empty tomb. And Jesus was the victor. And Satan was defeated. And he was openly shamed. It, you know, the picture I think of is, is getting a billboard and putting Satan's head up there and say, you blockhead, you got shamed. And we ought to remind him of that sometimes. He tries to bring havoc in our lives. We ought to remind him of, of what happened at the cross. I mean, you talk about biggest loser. Satan's the biggest loser of all time. And we can tell him sometimes. Loser. You got whooped at the cross. And listen, the battle's over. And Christ has completely triumphed. And he invites us to be on the winning side. And so if you're here this morning and you've never been to the cross and you've never had your sins covered by the blood of Jesus and you don't enjoy the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus invites you this morning to be saved. Maybe you say, well, how? How can I be saved? Listen, you turn from your sins and you stop following Satan and you follow Jesus. Nothing you can do to be saved. Nothing you can do to have your sins forgiven other than come to Jesus and just to cry out to him and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And so this morning, I, I get to invite you to, to come to Jesus in faith and be saved. What a, what a blessing it is to preach and invite people to be on the winning side. Won't you stand with me this morning? And Would you bow your heads for just a moment? We'll prepare for an invitation and... Listen, this morning, if you're not saved, listen, we'd love to talk to you. We'd, we'd love to invite you, even now, as, as people's heads are bowed, just, just make your way out. And, and uh, I'd love to talk to you about how to be saved and, and enjoy victory in Jesus. And, and the, before we have the invitation, as your heads are bowed, I just want to say to the believers, to the followers, some of you, your life is, is not victorious. And some of you need this verse 15 this morning, verse 14 this morning. You need to be reminded that your sins have been forgiven. If you come to Christ in faith, and your sins have been nailed to the cross. And you can have complete victory this morning. And Jesus has triumphed over sin. And aren't you thankful? Aren't you grateful this morning that Jesus took your sins don't you want to live for someone who would love you that much? Let me ask you this morning, what's in your life that's keeping you from, 
living in victory. What has Satan been holding over your head? Maybe you confessed it to the Lord and you've been forgiven and yet it's still there. Maybe this morning you need to say, man, I'm finished with that. I've confessed that sin. I'm putting it under his blood. I'm tired of living with this guilty conscience for something that I've been forgiven of. And I'm just not going to let Satan wreak havoc in my life anymore. Listen, you, you depend completely upon Jesus and what he did. And if you will, you'll find forgiveness and freedom and power and victory. And uh, so we're going to have an invitation this morning. Listen, we, we put up the cross this morning just to remind us of where we find forgiveness. And I even put some paper down there and some pens. And, and some of you, listen, you need to come up here this morning. You need to write down whatever it is that Satan keeps holding over your head. You might need to write it down and, and just leave it there at the cross. You can write it down and fold it up. Listen, we, you know what we're not going to do this week? We're not going to come up here and read them. Because they don't matter. Because Jesus has forgiven them. But don't you let Satan hold those over your heads any longer. Those sins have been paid in full. And so let's pray. Father, thank you that all my sins have been nailed to the cross. Taken upon the body of Jesus. Father, there's some people this morning that's going to be here that they need to have victory in Jesus. The enemy has held these sins over them. I pray that this morning he'll be reminded that he's been put to open shame. He was defeated at the cross. May you give victory to some this morning. If there's any here that's lost this morning, we pray that today they would come to Jesus in faith. And be able one day to march in the triumph with the victor who is Jesus. Bless this invitation, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, you respond this morning. If, you, if you're not saved, man, be saved today. And if you're saved and you're not living with victory, then you need that this morning. If you need to come and, and leave something at the cross this morning, just... For you, for your good, I invite you to do that. If you if you want to observe the Lord's Supper this morning and give praise to Jesus for what he did on the cross, I invite you to do that. You you just respond. This is your time to respond to, to him this morning.